Hear that? Is that America cheering or a sausage patty sizzling to perfection? It's time to cheer for Egg McMuffin and fresh cracked eggs at McDonald's. It's time to wake up to the aroma of freshly baked biscuits and treat yourself to a real honest-to-goodness morning meal. Breakfast, it's on at McDonald's. Choose any breakfast sandwich, buy one, get one free. Available only on the app. Price and participation may vary. McD app download and registration required. Single item at regular price. The soul of summer in Columbus. The long weekends, the return of festivals, the connection with friends on a rooftop under the stars. The just five more minutes while on an adventure with your tiny travelers. Long live summer and the exploration of Columbus's neighborhoods. Discover itineraries from your favorite Columbus residents like Jenny Britton and Coyote Peterson and learn how to make this summer one to remember. Plan every detail, every minute of summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash liveforward. You're listening to the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Radio's authority on the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology. Celebrating 25 years of broadcasting. Broadcasting around the world and to the great beyond. All hit radio. Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell. We're coming to you live and around the world from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Worldwide toll-free, 800-610-7035. My email address is exxon at exxonradiotv.com. On all social media sites, Exxon Radio TV and our main radio website where you can listen to the Exxon, 724-365, as well as during the live broadcast, Monday through Friday from 8 p.m. Eastern until midnight at www.exxonradiotv.com. It was 42 days ago, this very night, this very hour, this very time, when Michael, you like that, Aston, when Michael Horn and Stanton Friedman first started a debate here on the Exxon about the Billy Meyer case. Now, Michael, as everyone knows, is the North American authorized representative for the Billy Meyer case. And Stanton T. Friedman, well, he is the great-grandfather of ufology. Joining us from Fredericton, New Brunswick, is Stanton T. Friedman. And somewhere in California, parts unknown, is Michael Horn. Gentlemen, welcome back to the show. Hi, Rob. I'm actually in Arizona. Oh, uh, but That's okay. Are you from California? or? Well, no, actually, I was... I was born at a very young age, Stan, and I <laughs> was in Chicago, yeah. <laughs> and I moved to a bunch of places. I was living in L.A. for quite some time, but then after living briefly in Brazil, I moved up here to Arizona, and we had some snow. Thank you. <laughs> 
Well, listen, we like to share the snow here uh, from Canada down to our good friends in the United States. And Stanton is in Fredericton, New Brunswick, a beautiful part of Canada. Um, all right, gentlemen, over the past 42 days, I have seen mail go from each one of you about different areas of the of the Billy Meyer case. Now, Michael, what I'd like you to do is I'm going to give you five minutes to set up your case okay. for tonight. Okay, so Michael, are you ready? I are. You are? So, uh, I mean, <laughs> I is. I'm sorry. Okay, thank um, you. Go ahead, Mike. Well, you know, okay, I mean, uh, let's start with this premise and then see if it's acceptable to everybody. I think that uh, we could agree that the confirmed discovery of extraterrestrial intelligent extraterrestrial life, not little organisms, would be the most important discovery in human history. And that would be exceeded only by established contact with those life forms. So what my premise is here is that while many people may take for granted that there must be aliens lurking everywhere in closets, uh, in old abandoned trunks with clothing and photographs and underbeds, truly to establish that there was intelligent extraterrestrial life and therefore thence contact with it between the extraterrestrials and people or a person of Earth would simply be the most important of all discoveries and events in, in human history. That being said, in, in a uh, scientific way, in other words, evaluating a systematically organized body of knowledge on a particular subject, one of the kind of short definitions of science, we would want to have, you know, respected criteria for examining the evidence. And of course, there would have to be significant evidence worthy of examination and we would have to use the scientific method, logic, neutral, you know, thinking, objectivity, critical thinking, any and all elements of a scientific mindset for determining the authenticity and validity of that evidence. In that light, what I would suggest here is that over the past 36 years, what I have come in contact with and helped to organize and in some cases authenticate, etc., is an unprecedented body of what effectively is still irreproducible evidence that supports the singular mm -hmm. authenticity of the still ongoing contacts between Billy Meyer and an extraterrestrial human race that is known as the Pleiaran. That evidence would include at this point over 1,200 UFO photos, films, and video, uh, four separate sound recordings, metal alloy samples. Now, these two categories, as well as the photographs and photographic evidence, have been independently examined and authenticated by recognized experts back in the 1980s, around 1981 or so, and since that time have been authenticated with state-of-the-art technology that, unlike the specialized availability to only experts of the technology, the state-of-the-art technology of the day back in the 70s and 80s, this new technology 
is now available to anybody who wants to actually do their own examination. Some of it is as simple as getting Photoshop. Some of it may be more expensive, but it is no longer simply the private domain of so-called experts as it was back in the 1980s. And I should add that people from JPL, NASA, uh, USGS, etc., were among those who authenticated Myers evidence. And we can speak about the specific analyses as well. In addition to that, in current times, there are now over 120 eyewitnesses, most still living. Going back to 1964, there were over 100 eyewitnesses in India, two of whom had come forward just, you know, 10, 15 years ago, maybe a little more, uh, to to speak up for the authenticity case, both of whom were professional, accomplished women. One of whom is a former UN ambassador to the uh, United, you know, to the United Nations right. General Assembly for Cambodia. So all of these things, this voluminous, specific, uh, and prophetically accurate information that supplements the physical evidence, we have voluminous, to be redundant, amounts of it corroborated, and what we have when we evaluate. All of this evidence, unless it can be brought forward in argument tonight to the contrary, we have found that the circumstances, the means, let alone motive and opportunities, available to this one man to present an unprecedented body of authentic and authenticated evidence and information simply doesn't exist. It's unparalleled in history. I'll add this just for reference. When you go online and you look up photographic hoaxes, just as a broad category, you can find some examples over the years, okay, last thing, years and decades of it, and you will find that rarely does anybody ever produce more than one to, to a half a dozen examples of hoaxes photographed. Meyer has 1,200 authenticating ones. I'm sorry for running over the beep. Well, that's all right. That's why we brought the bicycle into the studio. <laughs> All right, Stanton, my friend, are you ready for your rebuttal? Uh, I guess. All right, just uh, give us a that second. That was here. a very impressive performance. Mm -hmm. uh, and I must say, uh, Michael is uh, glib and well-spoken indeed. Uh, I'll tell you what's bothered me. Uh, I've spent a lot of time over the last few couple of weeks, whenever it was we set this up, uh, I've been busy with other things, but I spent a lot of time. People, I must say this, your program, Rob, seems to have a wide uh, circulation because I had several people uh, hearing that this discussion was going to take place, uh, sending me material mm -hmm. on both sides, I might add, <laughs> incidentally. And, uh, and looking at the total picture, I'm impressed by some things. The volume of materials is, is tremendous. I would grant... Michael, that uh, right off the bat, no question. There's a ton of materials. How legitimate is is, a, is another question, and whether we're asking the wrong question, I suppose the question seems to be, is there more truth than fiction, which isn't good enough for me, frankly. Uh, I'm bothered by the fact, I'm just rereading, uh, going over stuff where this whole business about predictions, um, you know, we mentioned briefly, I don't like that word, post-dictions post rather than predictions, <laughs> but because uh, it just doesn't sound right. But I, 
keep seeing analysis that says that, gee, the original uh, supposed prediction in writing, uh, we don't have any of those original things. We have a lot of claims. But the original letters and, and all the rest of that don't seem to be around, is what I keep reading. And furthermore, that a lot of them uh, don't stand up. That is, people have shown uh, that indeed something wasn't said until after the event took place. Uh, and so I, I'm confused by all of this. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm not saying I fully understand it. Uh, Michael, have you met the other, uh, uh, his contacts? You mean All the play Aaron people? Uh, no, but Stan, do you want me to answer now or wait until you're done with your full opening well, statement? Because wait, I want I, to address everything you've said, but I want to do it when you've had a chance to you know, say everything. Well, what, what I'm getting at is, uh, for the listeners who may not appreciate, how many thousand, what did you say, 1,200 photographs? Something like that. Over 1,200, yes. Okay, and thousands of pages of stuff, right? Yeah, uh, about 26,000, 27, 28 by now, yes. Okay, so there's an enormous amount of material. And certainly I cannot claim to have gone through all this stuff, uh, even if I'd spent full time since the last time we talked. Uh, I can't. You sent me some stuff, but other guys sent me stuff. And... I'm still confused because the question is, well, what if some of this is real and some of it isn't? What do we do then? Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't know. Uh, for most situations, if you got, uh, you know, I, I will grant you that I commented when we talked about Wendell Stevens, for example, mm -hmm. that uh, he had been in jail and that affects some people's perception of them, and it affected mine, as a matter of fact, but only because there were other things that bothered me, <laughs> that the things he said weren't true, uh, that I could prove weren't true. The jail was, you know, a separate question. Is it my understanding, is this correct, that I read in one thing that I read, that uh, uh, Billy has spent time in prison? Yeah, well, let me know when you want me to respond because you're you're raising well, okay. points that are I, I, absolutely necessary to answer for people because these are concerns they have. Sure. Yeah, I, I would stop right there. Let me start okay. with that question. All right, let me come back if I may. Uh, Rob, can I respond at this point, or you, you want me to no, wait? No, you certainly can, Michael. Okay, I made a couple notes. You were uh, spoke about uh, you know originals and the possibility of postdiction and. So what I want to do is I want to bring up something that I mentioned in my statement, which is what are the criteria used in determining the truth? And you, Stan, had mentioned that some people had said things were published later or what have you. Now, you know, I'm not having any kind of an intention here, you know, trying to, uh, you know, put people's feet to the fire. I, I think what is evident to me here is that the fact that Stanton and I are going to have a second discussion about this, you can call it a debate or whatever, it tells me that Stanton wants to know the truth, yes. as I do and as you do, and I think your audience does too. So I want to emphasize 
how this has been looked at. And rather than, you know, when we say, well, some people have said this or some people have said that, I want to try to address, of course, if you want to raise whoever might have said a specific thing, I'll try to answer it. But let me answer this way. There is still a significant amount of information that we can prove via copyrights was published before the events occurred. And that's very important. As a for instance, um, Wendell, who I don't want to make the centerpiece of this because there are a lot of people, listen, Martin Luther King, Nelson Mandela, they've been in jail. And I'll address the thing you raised, raised about Meyer, but I want to get back to, we're, we're going to discuss the Meyer case. Um, I don't want to bring in other personalities to dilute it. They, you know, we could say, well, you know, Lee and Britt Elders are stellar. They have great mm-hmm. credentials and Jim Delatosa, great. But we've got to go on how do we actually you know, critique what criteria are we using to determine truth. So, therefore, if I tell you that the books coincidentally published first by Wendell Stevens, uh, which have copyrights on them, and the documents that preceded, which I had in my possession in 1986, contained any number, and I can rattle off a bunch of specific pieces of information. Now, I want to be precise here, this term about prophecy and prediction, I understand that that is a, it's kind of a red flag for people that are scientifically minded, but we must keep in mind that astrophysicists, architects, engineers, sportscasters, whether there's a host of categories of careers and professions in which people predict information with various degrees of accuracy, right? Now, in Meyer's case, for a lot of this stuff that I have referred to deliberately to irritate people to, prophetically accurate information, the fact is that we can verify that he published it before the events happened. Now, I didn't, you know, I know I sent you a, a page that has about 150, and we have since that time probably another 50. But when you open a book from, with a copyright that precedes by over 30 years, official discoveries by NASA, specifically, not vague things like there may be dust on Mars, but they're saying your scientists will discover that there is more water on Mars than they can even imagine. There are small fauna and flora life forms and the environment is hostile to life. 1976, we then in 2008 discover why there's water. Subsequently, we've discovered there's more water than we thought. We've discovered microorganisms and we discovered that the soil there has substantial amounts of perchlorate making it hostile to life. But you go back to 1976 again, and Meyer asks, why does the surface of the planet Mercury contract? A very specific scientific question, pretty unusual for a so-called Swiss farmer in 76. And the alleged extraterrestrial woman says, well, that's easy. It's because of the metal core of the planet. It may have been easy to her, but it took 32 years until NASA, quote unquote, discovered it. So, what I'm trying to say well, I here... I've got one comment, as yeah, a matter please. of fact, that, uh, that that wasn't, that it had been published before. So, you know, I, this is where you get into, where I get into trouble in trying to sort this out. These guys say it was published before, and 
No, what they I, I know what you're talking about. They said there were theories, but I can go and be. Listen, you want to let? We'll let that one sit right there. Meyer doesn't never publish a theory about a darn thing. They either state things that they know as facts, or they don't. But what they, he also published before it was established as fact is the following information. Io is the most volcanically active body in the solar system. Its ejecta is composed largely of uh, ionized sulfur uh, dust particles. It is a uh, matter of the, the projection of these particles up into the atmosphere. Those that don't escape the moon result in covering the, the moon of Io in a very smooth surface. He described the speed of that. He described that Europa was encrusted in ice. He also described that Neptune had rings. And all of this was published before the Voyager got there. Verifiably, the skeptics at CFI West IIG tried to debunk this, and they ended up corroborating it because they also showed that one of the facts in there about a, the torus of uh, Jupiter being composed of sulfur ions wasn't known until over a year after NASA had corroborated Meyer's original stuff. We have this stuff. This is why the, the skeptics that try to say, oh, it was known, they leave out something else. And I, I, I want to acknowledge something. It doesn't mean that Meyer is always the first person to know something. But there are people that theorize. But Meyer never had, nor could he ever have had access to the theoretical the soul of summer in Columbus. The long weekends, the return of festivals, the connection with friends on a rooftop under the stars. The just five more minutes while on an adventure with your tiny travelers. Long live summer and the exploration of Columbus's neighborhoods. Discover itineraries from your favorite Columbus residents like Jenny Britton and Coyote Peterson and learn how to make this summer one to remember. Plan every detail every minute of summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash liveforward obscure stuff that was published in, in, in a paper in a university without the internet, without search engines, and he's living on a hilltop in Switzerland struggling to raise a family of three people, three children. How do we account for that means, motive, and opportunity? And as I said, we have tons of this. Well, I, what I'm curious about, there seem to be a lot of people involved around the world uh, I don't want to say in the Meyer organization, but you call it what you want. Uh, there are a lot of people paying attention to Billy Meyer. Is that a fair statement? Oh, yeah. There have been 22 attempts in his life. We know there's at least 22 people paying attention. That's a lot of lousy shots. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, and, and uh, grateful for it. I've, I've seen one of the bullet holes myself. It's quite real. Okay, but you, you get my point. That a lot of people. Uh, there are a lot of people who are, I'll say, in the Meyer camp, for uh, for want of a better way of putting it. I don't know what else to say. I, I, I won't call it the Meyer organization, or should I? Meyer has a nonprofit group called FIGU, largely dedicated yeah. to publishing his information, and they are all volunteers, if that helps. Well, okay. Uh, but I'm saying, I, I, I just want the audience to realize that we're not just talking about one uh, Swiss farmer up on a hilltop and nobody else around, so we must be getting it from aliens. Uh, you know, uh, I, I don't think we can say that. I, I think we can say that there are a lot of people who are interested in this stuff and who have worked hard 
define figure again. Sure, sure. It is a volunteer organization of people who help Billy to disseminate his published uh, information, his books, his, his pamphlets, and things like that. But just to comment on a lot of people involved who are interested in Billy, uh, you know, just before the show went on, we were briefly discussing the uh, last debate last night. We're interested yeah. in politics, but I'm not mm-hmm. running for president. So people can be interested in things, but carry on with <laughs> what your point would be. No, just that uh, the fact that Billy is, you know, a farmer out in, the, in in Switzerland doesn't mean that there weren't other people around paying attention to, uh, what did you say, obscure scientific papers, if you can call them that. Uh, I guess all scientific papers pretty much are obscure for the outside <laughs> yes, world. Yes, they are. Uh, doesn't mean well, that-, that there aren't people who have jumped on the bandwagon, so to speak, and that Bill Billy might not have been made aware of stuff, because we're not talking about... He's only got three friends, so who's going to tell him? That's not the situation at all. Uh, he's got a, a lot of people, uh, I won't say blowing his horn. What's, what's a better way of putting it? Supporting him. Okay. That's well, much sure, more. let's answer that. Let me, let me, <laughs> let me address that, uh, Stan. Um, you have to remember that a great body of this information was published by Meyer beginning in 1951, in 1958. He's 14 and 21 years old, respectively. Now, then uh, more of it, and this is stuff that he's publishing, then beginning in 1975, when he's meeting with Semyaze and these other people, the, if you will, alleged extraterrestrials, he starts to publish their conversations. And what is what most people don't know is that a, a lot of what we refer to as the prophetically accurate information is included in conversations, in sequentially numbered, uh, you know, contacts, if you will, that now number over 620, whereby within them, all sorts of things, including the most mundane and boring of matters, and some of the most thrilling and interesting of information, is published in a conversational context. Now, this stuff doesn't really begin to see the light of day until Stevens and crew around 1978 start getting it translated. Up until that time, it's still only available in German. And though it's from 75 on, it's getting some dissemination in Europe. Mainly, Meyer's being attacked. He doesn't have a, an audience like you or I can have now on, on Rob's show. So you've floated a premise which isn't substantiated by the facts. And I can also say since I've traveled a total of 180,000 miles in my 15 round trips to Switzerland and every time gone over the property, walked some of the grounds where the photos were taken, talked to family members and witnesses. I have a real firsthand take and I tried to trick Meyer four separate times in three years to see if this guy was possibly, you know, just a really good liar, to be honest with you. Something that was the, you know, the, the domain uh, of scientists, strictly speaking, there's no offense meant, but 
what happened with the presence of the internet, it democratized the process of vetting and reviewing information. So people, there are you know plenty of diligent people out there who aren't sitting on scientific panels. And let's also be honest, anybody that's got a degree has had their degree granted by other human beings who had their degree granted. Great. But when you have enough people now in the world who at the press of a button can go online and search and, and, and come to their own determination, is this valid or not? Mm-hmm. Then we supersede the, you know, the vaunted uh, significance of experts, none of whom are Meyer's peers. How's he going to have a peer review? His best peers now are any and everybody who can go and search this out and start thinking and questioning for themselves. Well, but, you know, you, you have raised a question that is uh, not about him, really, but about the whole system today. I get calls all the time by people who say, oh, I saw it on the Internet. As if that makes it true. I get people who say, I saw it on YouTube. And that well, doesn't you, make it you're true. You're right, Stan. You're right. But see, the thing is, when you can find, when you, what we did, just so you understand, we didn't go onto the internet to find out if somebody said the same thing. Mm-hmm. We went to find if there was documentation, meaning in the press or scientific journals, as to if and when a specific discovery was made. And Here's a good example for you, I think, because this is what actually woke me up to the Meyer case being about something other than UFOs. In 1986, I had received 1,800 pages of all these conversations and read them, took a few months, stuck them under my bed. In 88, I opened up a newspaper and there was a new article by Lawrence Livermore Labs telling me that the new discovery was the connection between A-bomb explosions, you know, atmospheric testing and explosions and the ozone damage with a percentage and everything. I sat there for a moment stunned because I already knew that information. But how could I know it? Now, this is well before the Internet. So I had to reach under my bed, pull out the first 100 pages, go through, and there it was. There is Semyazi saying to Meyer, well, as you've known since the 1950s, the connection between – and she spelled it out. And that was just the first one. That's what got me to start looking. So this isn't about what people say on the Internet. I have newspaper clippings from pre-internet days, and I have made copies of the online articles from science magazines, all this stuff, with these new scientific discoveries listing JPL and NASA and anybody else that will talk. And this is what we say. Look, if, if these science magazines are carrying papers by these scientists saying these are their new discoveries, and we've got a book sitting over here on a shelf, copyright 1980 – as I said to that judge in Las Vegas, Your Honor, who wins between us and NASA? And he says, you do. All right, gentlemen, we're going to take a three-minute break here so that you can both uh, refresh yourselves. We'll meet back here in the X-Zone in three minutes from now. X-Zone Nation, my two guests this moment. hour. Stanton Try T. Friedman, the great-grandfather of ufology, and Michael Horn, the North American representative for the Billy Meyer case. We're talking about the Billy Meyer case here tonight on the X-Zone. And we're coming to you live and around the world from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. The Exxon is a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard Monday through Friday from 8 p.m. Eastern until midnight. And you can listen to the Exxon 24-7, 365 at com. My name is Rob McConnell, Stanton Freeman, Michael Horn, and I will return on the other side of the short break. Don't go away.
listening to the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Radio's authority on the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology. Celebrating 25 years of broadcasting. Broadcasting around the world and to the great beyond. Foundation focusing on evidence based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. While science pursues fact, magic accesses the quantum level, bridging random facts to form truth. As long as science and magic remain separate and polarized, the truth cannot be known. I'm Wilda Wiecka. Join me on the Science of Magic radio program dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. During each episode, I'll be speaking with experienced and respected scientists and mystics. From astrologers to astronomers, from medical doctors to shaman, the scientific method to dowsing and intuition, we will weave together information from seemingly divergent practices to promote unity and enlightenment. Join me, Wilda Wiecka and the science of magic right here on the Exxon Broadcast Network. For more information, visit www.thescienceofmagic.net. I'm William S. Peckham. If you enjoy a good mystery with a touch of the paranormal, then you'll love my novel, From Out of the Woodwork. It's the story of a young Toronto contractor, Sean Kennedy, who buys derelict homes, guts them, and turns them into multifamily dwellings. Slums just waiting to happen. When Sean buys 29 Livery Lane, the house fights back. Former owners unexpectedly come out of the woodwork as he starts the destruction. The apparitions come to him when he touches old books, reads hidden letters, rummages through old boxes, finds a locket or reads a discovered manuscript of a murder mystery. From Out of the Woodwork will take you from 1899 to the horror of the World Trade Center, September 11, 2001. Check out From Out of the Woodwork on my website, www.williamspeckham.com. listening to the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Radio's authority on the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology. Celebrating 25 years of broadcasting. Broadcasting around the world and to the great beyond. Welcome back. 
Welcome back, everyone. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. Michael Horn and Stanton Friedman are my guests this hour. And in the next hour as well, we're talking about the Billy Meyer case. And gentlemen, thank you so much for being with us. And I believe uh, the ball is now in Stanton Friedman's court. Well, I was going to ask just when when the time came um, uh, about the photographs. Uh, one person sent me a statement that uh, they found out that a lot of pictures that Billy showed were actually NASA pictures or published by NASA. I shouldn't call them NASA pictures, but uh, stuff that had been published that was out there, if you will, uh, maybe not on the Internet. <laughs> but, uh and uh, I notice also you didn't respond, um, Michael didn't respond to the question about Billy being in prison. One person wrote that he was in prison twice, uh, two separate uh, terms. <laughs> Funny way to put it, but uh, jail terms, I guess. Sure. Uh, is that true, Michael? Let, let me uh, answer both of those for you, Stan. I'm sorry, I, I ran over my time originally when I was answering your first questions, and that one uh, slipped away. But let me, let's address this whole thing about photographs uh, that uh, were, you know, from NASA, et cetera. This happens to be an element of the case that Meyer and the ETs spoke about, I think it was in 1978, when they said that a lot of the photos that Meyer had taken allegedly, just for the sake of neutrality here, on mm -hmm. a journey with them into deep space, had been compromised, altered, and manipulated, and that they should no longer be considered, you know, shown as real. This is going back to the 70s. Now, what happened was Wendell had copies of those photos. Randy Winters had made copies of those photos when he'd gone to Switzerland once because they I were in I not heard that name in a long had. time. <laughs> I'm sorry? I didn't hear that statement. I hadn't heard the name Randy Winters in in a long years. time. Yeah, well, he was a very good speaker on the Meyer case. I I was his opening act for a few years or something. <laughs> but I'll, I'll come back because this is a very important point, and maybe the fact that you've raised this about these photos can finally clear it up. They knew that those photos had been compromised, and they told Meyer. And it's in a if you know if I knew I was going to be asked this one, I would have looked it up. But it's okay; I can always find it. It's in there, and they say, you know, this is as we said before, this is a problem. Same thing happened with photograph of two women, Asket and Nira. The, those photographs were taken of those two women, I think, in seventy five, seventy six, somewhere. And again, in a, uh, Meyer is told somewhere within a three-year period, 75 to 78, that there's a couple women on Earth that look very much like Asket and Nira. And he says, oh, great, can we, you know, can we go look or something? They said, no, for certain reasons, we're not going to do anything with that. Then it's 20 years later that the other shoe drops where people say, oh, look, it's these have been falsified. We show in an article on my site that they weren't. They couldn't have been. There's no lines from cathode tubes, etc. But let's stick with, for a moment, we'll get to the Meyer and the prison thing. But the thing with the space photos is clearly, see, Meyer would shoot his photos. He would turn the film over to a lab. They'd give him the photos back. He'd look at them, throw them in a shoebox. And that was part of the reason why so many also got stolen. He didn't keep a real, it wasn't that important to him, UFOs. He supposedly been on them since he was five years old, but okay, I'll take pictures. Well, it was pretty clear from that information that they knew 20 years before any fuss was raised about the space photos that they weren't reliable. And here's the bottom line. 
not a one of Meyer's UFO photos have ever been shown to be fake. And with all the new analyses that have been done last year, three separate analyses, that's pretty much a done deal. No skeptic now will come forward and say Meyer hoaxed the photo. So I'll pause there. I'll come back to the jail thing, but I mm-hmm. don't want to go over time. So just It's all right, Mike. Take the time. Okay. So my understanding is this. When Meyer was very young, he had a lot of trouble because here he is starting at five years of age, supposedly meeting with an extraterrestrial for, you know, over an 11-year period. They're taking him on board a craft. They're, they're showing him things in our history and his history. and You know, it's pretty mind-boggling. And he goes back to school to hang out with the kids. And he became very withdrawn. His only confidant was a parish priest named Father Zimmerman. We've got photographs of him, too. Meyer's the most documented life in human history, practically. So at a certain point, he gets in trouble and gets blamed for stuff. And if I'm recalling the details correctly, they stick him in like in a reform school. He, I think it was that he escaped and ran to the French Foreign Legion. Mm -hmm. He's about 15 or 16. And he joins the French Foreign Legion. Somewhere there's a photograph of it. I don't have it handy. I've seen it. And then after about a year, he realizes he does not want to be part of the French Foreign Legion. It's a bunch of they're training people to become killers. And he said, and he's written about it, he, and I think even in one of our films, he says, I decided I would come back, even though I had not been guilty, I would come back and go and, and let them put me back into the, uh, to be incarcerated until my time was up in there. They weren't going to believe me, so I went and did that. So it wasn't like this guy was like a, a burglar or a murderer or you know any of those horrible things. He had gotten in trouble as a kid. And that is what happened. All right, but so, let me ask you something here. The fact that he was a deserter, does that not go towards his credibility? Well, here's the thing. This is where there's, you know, there's this thing called conscientious objection. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, you know, your country has received an awful lot of conscientious objectors around the time of the Vietnam War. Definitely. Now, most of the, you know, soldiers, I think, were conscripted in our country starting, I think, at about 18 years of age. Mm -hmm. Here you've got a kid at about 16, goes off, flees to join, you know, some romantic, uh, having a romantic adventure to to get all the stuff behind him. And what he's realizing is he's being trained to be a killer. And that wasn't what he from all of the uh, mentoring he had had already with the play Aaron and with this woman Asket, that wasn't what he was signing on for. And he decided, no, this is not, you know, compatible with my ethic and my values. I'll go back and they'll put me in prison. Mm-hmm. And when I'm done, I'll, I'll come out and I'll do my mission. Stan. Well, you know, I'm, I, I can't dispute it. What, what you have said was he did spend time in prison. Okay, that's good. Um, not, it's not good. <laughs> but uh, we, we, we've answered the question. Uh, there's another question that needs answering, because I think people, you, you've mentioned Askit, and you mentioned somebody else, uh, Mura? Uh, Askit and Nira, uh-huh. Yeah, uh, and there, of course, is the name Semyasi or Semjasi. I don't know how to pronounce it properly. You got it, Semyasi, yeah. Semyazi. Okay. Now, who are these three people, and where are they? And, and oh. are are they on record? You know. Interesting. You should ask that. I was just putting something together tonight for a presentation. So let me answer that. Semya- uh, Asket and Nira. Well, Asket is said to be the second mentor, contact person, mentor for Meyer, who took over from the first 
one who was a play iron man named Spoth, who handed off the the job, so to speak, as he was approaching his death. Okay. Asket is said to be a human being, like all the people we're talking about of these extraterrestrials, whose race is kind of like a, a, a familial offshoot of the Pleiaran, but they live in an adjoining universe, not solar system or galaxy universe. Now, by the way, I always say, according to the information in the case, because I can't prove that. This is simply what's present. I don't know that we'll ever prove it. However, here's a fascinating element to me. Asket was the woman who brought her ships to be photographed by Billy in 1964 in India. Billy used the 1940 Bellows, Kodak Bellows type camera. The thing opened up and folded out. I don't know if you, if you remember those stands. Yeah, I've seen my, them. Right? Yeah, my I dad do. had one. You can't do anything tricky with that. You're lucky if you take a photograph. Well, anyhow, Meyer had taken 80 photographs by the time he was interviewed in 1964 by a very well-respected reporter for, for a prominent Indian newspaper called the Delhi Statesman, which was initially formed in 1875. Myers interviewed in 1864. In that article, and we have a copy of it, the man describes some of the photos that Myers showed him, which we still have 11 of. Now, some of those photos, they are mainly of Asket's ship. Now, we have a photograph of a young girl with her brother and her uncle, I think it was, her grandfather, who was a head monk at the ashram in India, where Meyer was, where the ships appeared, where he photographed him. And it gets better. She not only saw these craft, but she comes forward years later, like in 1998, she's now a retired ambassador to the UN General Assembly from Cambodia. And she steps forward to say, yes, indeed, I was there. I not only saw these ships, I saw this woman, Asket, who would come down and walk and talk with Billy Meyer. And my teacher, this woman uh, steps up, who was her teacher of Hindi, and they both gave interview attesting to the legitimacy of Meyer's meetings with these and the photographs. Over a hundred witnesses were in India. So this is where, you know, you're a scientist. This is where we go, well, we have to put this into the mix. Here is something more to substantiate. Let me be painfully honest and say, Stan, how many of the Roswell photographs have you examined of the craft? I haven't seen any photographs. Yeah, because there the are none. Craft. So here we've got, going back to 64. Oh, I didn't say there weren't any. I said oh, I haven't okay. seen but any. For all intents and purposes, we can say, we don't have any. To, we don't have any hard evidence, and yet you're passionate about that, and you approach it from a scientific level. I happen to be satisfied that Roswell's real for a couple of reasons. One, I heard about it in '57 from a kid whose father was in the Air Force, and two, Meyer. You know, as I sent you that information, they expounded on Roswell. But my point is this: we have photographic evidence going back pre-computer, pre-Photoshop, 1964, written about in a prominent paper with two highly credible still living witnesses. That's the easy stuff. Then we start getting into the 70s and 80s with the photographs and the, and the medals and the sound recordings and the prophetic information. So we're not looking at something just about a he said, she said situation. We've got hard evidence. Mm -hmm. Well, we, okay. You believe that you have hard evidence. The, the kicker that always comes back to this kind of stuff is, 
as you know, people have been taking pictures of UFOs for a very long time. Uh, you know, uh, we're talking late 40s or early 50s. There were pictures taken. Uh, I mention them only because you said something about them in the 60s. Uh, the McMinnville photographs were in 1950. Uh, so it is not, there is no dispute on my part anyway, I guess there would be on some people's part, that uh, we have had uh, visitors from out there uh, for some time here. Uh, so I'm, I would certainly not dispute what you're saying on that. Well, nobody was here then. Uh, obviously, that's nonsense. Uh, but so go back to Semyasi. Yes. Uh, is she around? Um, well, she, she doesn't. It's not like I could give you an address and you can go visit because she neither she nor any of the Playaran are stationed on Earth. For the most part, what we're told, according to the information of the case, is that she spends her time, because she's still in recovery from an accident that happened in about 19, I think it was 78 or so, uh, she spends her time in the, uh, with the civilization, the people of Asket's race in, that, in the Dal universe, and does come with Asket periodically to meet with Meyer, and especially like on the birth on his birthday and stuff, they'll show up. But there's been other times, but for the most part, the frequency of her interactions greatly diminished after her uh, almost fatal injury. Were there pictures of her taken? No, there were no pictures taken of her. The only photographs, and uh, people will find them inconclusive unless they really re reason through this. The photographs were taken, I think, of a woman named Alina, where they didn't show her face. Now, uh, you know, and then there were, of course, the, there were photographs taken of Asket and Nera, but that has all been, the water's been muddied. You can go through that if you read the report on my site. However, with Alina, the photographs were taken of her holding a laser beam weapon that was loaned to Meyer twice, I think, 76 and certainly in 77. Now, it's all you see is a human hand holding a very unusual weapon in a gold metallic suit with a bright, with bright silver metallic cuff. Naturally, this opened a lot of questions for people about the laser pistol, and the suit and all that. Do you want me to go into that, or do you want to, to go down another road? Well, I'm sorry? What's, Stanton? What's the point of that, that you have a picture of, do we know, do we have any, what's the word, background on that picture and the suit and so forth? Uh, yeah, we actually, here's what was found out. Because, look, let's just, let's be skeptics a bit. Okay, so you've got a photograph several photographs, in fact, of a, a woman's hand holding a weird-looking weapon. Could it be a toy? And what about her suit? So what we know from the investigation is the following. The investigators went and looked in Switzerland and through catalogs and everything else for a weapon that would closely enough resemble what this woman was holding. They couldn't find one. It had a red tip on it. So a lot of people said, see, it's just a toy. Well, the problem with that is while there were some red-tipped toy space guns, which were very primitive, the requirement for red plastic tips to be put on weapons of any sort wasn't enacted till 12 years later in 1989. See, this has got, there's so many details in here. This should fascinate scientists. Now, 
the, so the space weapon plus the weapon show seems to have a chamber or two on top of it. We're told it's a laser weapon. Now, what does that mean? It means that when the investigators were on the property, they found two different trees through which an oval hole had been burned, an oval hole. Not only was it an oval hole, but the inside, and one of these trees was green and full of sap, the inside was smooth as glass meaning it had been seared at enormously high temperatures and everything in a straight line through the forest till there was an embankment was singed. In fact, a branches from 60 feet above the ground were singed when Meyer allegedly used this weapon to shoot up in the air with it. So we've got this whole subcategory with the laser weapon of these holes through trees, burned branches, uh, you know, mind-boggling stuff, and then we go to the gold suit. Nothing could be found even remotely. No mylar. Nobody had a a gold uh, plastic suit. So it's a head-scratcher. This one man with this, as I said, unprecedented volume. All right, Michael, I'd like to to ask you a question at this point. Sure, sure. Why are there no photos of Billy Meyer firing the weapon? Sure. The laser weapon, but there are photos of him with the um, uh, with the spacecraft. Wouldn't this be as important to photograph and to document as the spacecraft? Here is the here's the little thing that hangs like a sword over the head on the case, and deliberately so. It is expressed many times in the case, and I'll explain it this way. If these people wanted to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt, not a reasonable a shadow of a doubt, that they were real and Billy's having these contacts, it would have taken them not 73 plus years of you know constantly doing all this work, but five minutes appearing over the major cities of the planet, at which case, of course, most of the people on the planet would go stark raving mad. What they realized was if they give every last piece, every possible conclusive thing, and some things which would be painfully conclusive, they would violate the free will of people, force people to accept the reality, and then there they go again. So they very often stop short of the proof beyond any possible doubt thing. Now, some people, for instance, had attacked one of the famous film clips. I'm sure Stanton knows it too. The ship circling a tree. It's a film. And it's called a pendulum ship or, you know, pendulum UFO. And people said, oh, it's just suspended on a string and saucer watch or ground watch, whatever they were. They went at it and everybody's attacking. Well, just this last year, independent analysis of that film clip showed not only was it a real object going around a tree, in some frames, the craft was in two places in the same frame at the same time. This was... Nippon TV had already analyzed and authenticated, but that wasn't good enough for people. So another independent analysis was done. It's freely available on site. So now that we have this technology, we can, if we are ready and sophisticated enough in our thinking, we can now push ourselves past that point of proof beyond a reasonable doubt instantaneously. Well, I'll tell you, I read Bruce McAvee's paper about the uh, the pendulum. Uh, I'll, I'll use that as a generic term here for the, the, right. that photograph and going back and forth uh, with with a certain period of time to go do the back and forth. All pendulums have a period, of course, a time for their full motion. 
uh, and I thought Bruce did a very sophisticated analysis of that. Oh, and no, it looks like it really didn't. Now, I, I don't mean uh, to... I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm look, sorry. He, he does have a PhD in physics. He was an optical physicist for a Navy research lab for 30-some years. I don't know the exact number. Uh, he's retired now. But I was very impressed with his work, and I've known him for 40 years, uh, I think, and uh, uh, I've never, ever found him doing anything that I would call questionable, ethically questionable. or He probably did the best he could at the time with the tools he had. But let me ask you, well, okay. I know I sent it to you, Stan. Did you read the 40-page uh, uh, analysis of that clip done by Raul Zahi? Uh, no, I didn't. Okay, so I, I, did I would read, have you at a little disadvantage uh, here, and I don't want well, to play that disadvantage. I also I did tell you. read. Go ahead. A, a, an Indian uh, individual, a man from India. I'm sorry. Uh, we use words India when you're here with, with different meanings. Right. Uh, I did read his. Uh, I did read his analysis of a bunch of things. He at first was a believer, if you will, and then I gradually got uh, convinced that, that there was a lot of stuff that wasn't legitimate here. But he also, uh, I not because of him, but somebody else put me on to a simulation, I don't know what else to call it, uh, by uh, an individual of one of uh, Meyer's um, motion pictures, uh, I guess. Uh, maybe I, I don't know whether to call it a, a video. I guess video would be better uh, as opposed to motion picture. <laughs> and uh, uh, and it was a damn good thing. And it was a, a model on a string. A long a string is in a wrong statement. You mean like a pendulum? Type no, of no, no. I'm saying this is one going around. Uh, yes, yes. I helped him with that. I am. You're talking about Phil Langdon, who, beginning in 2009, said he wanted to uh, show that he could duplicate Myers' photos and films. And I said, I will assist you with feedback. And on that particular one, his first attempt, by the way, what you're seeing is not his first attempt because he couldn't get it right the first time. Meyer always got it right the first time because there was only one time. Langdon couldn't, didn't notice that the craft hung off to the left at an angle for approximately two seconds or so and then resumed its motion. So I had to point it out to him. Then he went and tied another string onto his model. He did nice simulations, but it's no better than somebody building a model airplane of an existing plane. And here's the problem, Stan. You're citing people that you know you're having to take their word for the the uh, Mahesh the guy in India he he wrote some critiques on photographs he was shot down by the photographers they said he simply didn't know what he was talking about and they answered and he had to shut up because he didn't that's why on a thing like this where Raul Zahi did the analysis in enormous detail far more than anything that was done years ago you know uh, by by your friend there uh, his name is now escaping me. Dr. This McAfee. is so diligent, and he he shows you every step of the way, plus the protocols, plus the technology he used, which means now that nobody has to take anybody's word. You can do the same thing. He's he does. I mean, I'm a little 
I'm a little peeved here that you didn't go through this because we could discuss this, you know, 40 page analysis and you'd see that this puts to shame what was done by, you know, ground saucer, saucer watch there because they didn't have the tools. I'm not a booster of ground saucer watch. Okay. I mean, or Bruce McAbee, that's the guy who did. He, he doesn't come close to this. This guy did everything conceivable. He built models. He did photo, he did computer in, uh, enhanced stuff. I mean, if Meyer, is fooling our 20th and 21st century technology back in 1975. Isn't that a showstopper? All right, Don't gentlemen. Say, Wait a minute. How do you do it? All right, gentlemen. Speaking about showstoppers, we've got to take <laughs> our news break at the top of the hour. We'll be back in six minutes. Stanton T. Friedman in Fredericton, New Brunswick. Michael Horn, somewhere in Arizona. <laughs> And yours truly, Rob McConnell, here in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. The three of us will be back on the other side of this news break in about six minutes as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Now, for more information on Stanton T. Friedman, his website is stantonfriedman.com and Michael Horn, theyfly.com. I'll be back on the other side of this break with Stanton Friedman and Michael Horn as we continue here in the Exxon talking about the Billy Meyer case. Don't go away. Listening to the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Radio's authority on the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology. Celebrating 25 years of broadcasting, broadcasting around the world and to the great beyond. While science pursues fact, magic accesses the quantum level, bridging random facts to form truth. As long as science and magic remain separate and polarized, the truth cannot be known. I'm Wilda Wiecka. Join me on the Science of Magic radio program dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. During each episode, I'll be speaking with experienced and respected scientists and mystics. From astrologers to astronomers, from medical doctors to shaman, the scientific method to dowsing and intuition, we will weave together information from seemingly divergent practices to promote unity and enlightenment. Join me, Wilda Wiaka, and the Science of Magic right here on the Exxon Broadcast Network. For more information, visit www.thescienceofmagic.net. The soul of summer in Columbus. The long weekends, the return of festivals, the connection with friends on a rooftop under the stars. The just five more minutes while on an adventure with your tiny travelers. Long live summer and the exploration of Columbus's neighborhoods. Discover itineraries from your favorite Columbus residents like Jenny Britton and Coyote Peterson and learn how to make this summer one to remember. Plan every detail, every minute of summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash live forward. <laughs> 